Well, as always, it's a pleasure to be with all of you this evening um, as we go and venture deeper into God's Word. Uh, let's start this right with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we ask that you please bless this time that we have together. God, that you will help us, Lord, to listen to your word and to receive your teaching, to receive your truth. God, that it works on our lives, that it will convict us where we need convicting. And Lord, that we will honor you with who we are and all that you've made us to be. God, we praise you and we thank you. Amen. So last week, as we continue through the book of Genesis, we talked about the level of depravity that creation had come to. It seemed like so far ago that there was the Garden of Eden, and and yes, we saw the fall of humanity, but that seemed so much further than where it went. For now, we see that the human race had nothing good coming from them at all. Each thought was continually evil. And we see that the heart of God was aching. The Lord was in pain for what He had seen His creation become. But as we know of the character of God, yes, He is a God of love, but He is also a God of justice. And He knows how to perfectly execute His love and His justice at the right time. Because you see, when it comes to sin, when it comes to evil, God does not contend with sin forever as we see in the text. Yes, the Lord practices mercy, but mercy is merely a delay of judgment, is what mercy is. Grace is where we see judgment is completely covered. And in this case, we see, yes, God has shown mercy. But then comes the day where judgment, yes, indeed, will arise. So if you would, please go ahead and turn with me to Genesis 6. And I'm going to start in verse 5. And I'm not going to be reading through the entire story of the flood, just because there is uh, quite a bit there. Uh, But I do plan on on going through uh, the the story. Okay, Genesis 6, verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man. Blameless in his generation, Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. 
And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh. For the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. And then the Lord goes through and he details exactly how he wants it made. And then he says in verse 17, For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kind, and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten, And store it up, and it shall serve as food for you and for them. And Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. This declaration that God is giving Noah. God will not contend with sin forever. He provides mercy, but his judgment is beginning to fall. God grieves over the sin that we saw in verse 6. And it breaks God's heart when we, when you and I follow a sinful path. And when we take God and we no longer put Him in the direct place He needs to be as our Heavenly Father, but we put Him on the burner. We set Him aside for ourselves. And this is why God was grieved. This is why God's heart was filled with pain. And he experienced, yes, sorrow. Are we truly aware of how our sin impacts our Heavenly Father? It breaks his heart when he sees us striving to be more like the world than like him. And he longs for us. He longs for us. He hungers and thirsts after righteousness. Yet, do we call ourselves too busy to go to him? I will admit to you, there are times where I allow myself to get too busy. Where I should have made God a priority, I barely make time for Him at all. There's a sign, I I know it's a special sign to this church, I I actually keep it in my office as, as a reminder now. But it says, beware, beware the dangers of a, the barrenness, excuse me. In my head, I also add dangers in, in, in my own mind. It says, beware the barrenness, and in my mind, and dangers of a busy life. This is the reason why. Because when we allow ourselves to become too busy, when we allow ourselves to become too distracted by everything the world throws at us, which, by the way, that is a perfect thing to point out right now in our day and age, 
between COVID and politics and everything, there are so many things that are trying to distract us from our most important priority, and that is our obedience to the Father. We see that the story of Noah is about God's judgment on a people that turned their back on God. Yes, in large ways, in the big sins as we quote-unquote call them, but also in the ones that maybe don't seem so loud, but are still sin. Being too busy. Too busy for, for God. Not noticing that we've completely forgotten God in our lives. Idolatry. You know, sins that we call big, but we don't treat them as big. And so we see here, yes, God judges sin. God judges those that are sinful. God judges those that, yes, remain sinners on the day of judgment. And this is hard for us to hear. No matter where we are in our walk with the Lord, no matter how close our relationship with Christ, this can be a hard concept for many of us to grasp. God is not in the business of tolerating sin. Yes, there is mercy, but his perfect justice demands that he acts upon sin. And we know that he acts upon sin. And we forget that when we consider who Jesus Christ is and what Jesus Christ did for our sins, that is also a picture of how God wants to deal with sin in totality. We see that in those that are unrepentant and continue on their way, yes, they receive full judgment for the sin that has been committed. Yet to those that repent and turn to Jesus Christ, their sin has also been completely dealt with, but by grace. God hates sin, and it will be dealt with. The question is, how will our sin be dealt with? When we come before God on the day of judgment, will it be to receive his full wrath in judgment because we turned our back on him? Or will our sin be completely dealt with by the grace of Jesus Christ for the death he took upon himself on the cross? God always deals with sin. And each day we are given is a day where we are receiving mercy. One more day for an opportunity to receive Jesus Christ. And if you have received Jesus Christ, well then it is to share Jesus Christ. So here's what we see. God holds us accountable for our actions and for our thoughts. He holds us accountable for our sins. I'm sure most of you have heard the saying, Love the sinner, hate the sin. It's a very common phrase among Christians. And I would say it's actually, it's a very good saying. It helps us, especially in these days where we see so many awful things happening. It reminds us to love the people that struggle in sin. As well as us as well. It helps those of us that tend towards judgmentalism or legalism. To take a step back and be careful 
of an unloving and an unforgiving spirit in us. But there is another side of this coin as well. Accountability. Responsibility. Yes, we can love the sinner and hate the sin all day long. And I hope we do. But we also need to remember something that's important. We must take responsibility for the sin in our lives. We must take responsibility for the sin in our lives. And it's true. God loves the sinner. Every one of us. And he hates the sin. But we also need to remember, in the flood, the sinners drowned also. There was judgment. There was a judgment. So we must own our sin. And that's part of what repentance is. No one comes to the Lord and says, God, I've done nothing wrong. Now give me eternal life. No. God, forgive me, a sinner. God, forgive me for my sins. Lord, I want to love you. Not only am I a sinner, I don't just have sin. God, I am a sinner. God, forgive me. In Noah's day, sin was not something that you prioritized. It wasn't something you thought about that much. You just did it. And even in our own society, yes, there are portions of society that want to honor the Lord. But if we look at our culture, if we especially look at our, our entertainment, our society glamorizes sin. I heard about an article in the Boston Globe that ran an article that was about recent books and movies that glamorized, yes, murder and serial killers. And we live in a culture that even celebrates death in a morally already toxic society. And people are growingly attracted to dark humor. I, I, you know, when, when, when Ginsburg passed away this last week, I was really disappointed in some of my brothers and sisters in Christ that took that as an opportunity to make fun of the fact that someone died. And so they're posting pictures of the Supreme Court justice and, and there's some kind of pun. I can't remember what it was. Oh, yes, I guess the Supreme Court is ruthless, as they would post. And I'm sitting there thinking, how does that display Christ? How does that preach the gospel? Have we given into such dark humor that we no longer care about ministering to the families of those that have lost loved ones? To pray for the loss? To pray for those in leadership? To pray for those that are impacted by this? I certainly didn't agree with everything she believed in. No. But you're not going to see me celebrate someone's death in that way. Especially if I'm trying to paint myself as somebody superior. Someone that also needed the grace of Christ in his life. I'm starting to get a little angry as I'm talking about this. So I have to back up a sec and breathe. But I will admit, it disappointed me. Because I expect more from my brothers and sisters in Christ. To rise above 
petty politics and to be about the business of Christ and gospel sharing. Now, that, that, that was a tangent, but I think it was a good one. So that's just my opinion. But we see here in this society, people are attracted to darkness and death in their culture. Verse 5 tells us, the Lord, how great wickedness on the earth had become. And that every inclination of their heart was evil at the time. We, we covered that last week. And we see that this is our depravity. The heart is deceitful above all things. It's wicked. So God chose then to send a messenger to the world. A message that he will not overlook sin. A message that did not overlook sin in such a way that nobody could deny that God will deal with sin. And to the sinners that would drown, they received the judgment that God righteously had the right to execute on. And then there was Noah, the source of God's joy. And this is where Noah made God happy. First off, we see in verse 9, Noah was a righteous man. It says in verse 9 that he was a righteous man and blameless among the people of his time. Noah walked with God by faith. He was a living example to those around him. Now, Noah means, the name Noah means rest or comfort. And he lived a lifestyle, I would say, of courage because he lived counterculturally to the wickedest of generations. And in verse 9, it actually calls him blameless. It's that idea of being, yes, complete. Now, it doesn't mean that Noah was sinless. But what it does mean is that he had a deep relationship, a daily walk with God. Next, we see that one of the reasons why God was pleased with Noah was the fact that Noah was an obedient servant. We read in verse 22 about how Noah did everything just as God had commanded him. And what we see is that, yes, God commanded Noah to build an ark. And God wanted the ark to be built out of certain materials in a very specific kind of way. And Noah built the entire ark before the first raindrop ever fell. Before we saw the floods open up and the waters on the planet rise. And the ark was big. It wasn't something you could hide. It was, it was something that was a testimony to something coming. And it was a testament to Noah's faith in the Lord and his obedience. The ark was large. It was visible. 450 feet in length, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. How do you think the culture around Noah responded to him when he built the ark? It's not like he built it in the water or near a body of water. No, he most likely built it on dry ground. Rain's coming. So I'm building this enormous boat that I have no hope of moving on my own. God told me to build it, and I will obey God. Here's an important question. How ridiculous does your obedience to the Lord look to the rest of the world? 
How ridiculous does your obedience to God look to the rest of the world? Does your obedience look comfortable, safe, warm, and doable? Or does your obedience look courageous, noticeable, or to the world just plain crazy, but it's obedience? My opinion is Noah's obedience here looked pretty tough. The Bible doesn't tell us directly, but it is inferred that Noah probably received ridicule, backlash, I'm sure all kinds of gossip about what he was doing. But still, and this is the next point of why Noah pleased God. Noah was faithful. Chapter 7, verse 1. We're told that when everything was ready, God told Noah and his family that they would need to go into the boat with the animals and the provisions. And Noah did it. Now I'm going to read a little bit of chapter 7 for you. Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household. For I have seen that you are righteous before me in the generation. Take with you seven pairs of all the clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of birds of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights, and every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Noah was six hundred years old when the flood of waters came upon the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Of clean animals and of animals that are not clean, and of birds and of everything that creeps on the ground, two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days, the water of the flood came upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth and the windows of the heavens were open. Let me point out, have you noticed that before? It's not just that the rains came down, but it actually says the fountains of the great deep also opened up. They were getting water from all directions, from the sky and from the reservoirs and the underground streams as well. It was all coming up at once. And the rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife of the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. They and every beast according to its kind and all the livestock according to their kinds and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind and every bird according to its kind. Um, it's interesting when things get repeated as you read through a text. The reason why it's repeated here is because we see God commanding it with very specific words and then we see Noah's obedience verbatim. So when it's repeated, it's repeated in words but it's meant to say, just as God said it, so did Noah do it, is the reason why it gets repeated. 
They went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh, in which there was the breath of life. And those that entered male and female of all the flesh went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. Noah was faithful. Noah was a faithful witness to his generation. Again, it may just be my opinion, but I think Noah's lifestyle likely stood out like a sore thumb during this time leading up to the flood until all those that had ridiculed him died and drowned in the flood. And then, as we come into chapter 8, we're told these wonderful words that I'm sure we would want to hear if we were Noah. And it says, But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth, and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed, and the rain from the heavens was restrained, and the waters receded from the earth continually. And at the end of 150 days, the waters had abated. And in the seventh month, as the seventeenth day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mount of Ararat. And the waters continued to abate until the tenth month. And in the tenth month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. God remembered Noah. Noah was faithful, and God remembered Noah. And here we see not an act of mercy, but we see an act of God's grace. Among the great significance of the story, this is the transition right here from judgment exercised across the planet to the grace that will be shown Noah and his family. We see here, yes, we have the great flood, Noah's ark, but then we will see, yes, the rainbow of God's covenant and his promise. Even though the world was wiped out, God still gave the world a second chance through Noah and his family. In 1 Peter 3.21, Peter compares the ark to baptism. Life rising out of death from the shelter of the ark, out of the death and the devastation of the flood, a new world arose. There was only one door built into the ark. And we have in our lives, but one gospel, one way to heaven. And Jesus Christ is the one that saves faith in Christ alone. In that essence, Christ is much like an ark. The doors opened wide to those that will receive him. And believe what God said he would do to rescue us from death. You see, in Noah's day, simply knowing that there was an ark did not save you. No, it was faithful obedience to God that did. Because that is what led to feet moving and getting into the ark, which saved Noah and his family. And in Christ. We must be saved. It's not just knowing who Christ is, but it is receiving Christ as Messiah. It is being in Christ that saves us. 
the forgiveness of our sins, the repentant heart, the turning from evil and turning towards the Lord, Christ taking our sins upon the cross, that we have everlasting life in Him. Christ saves. Noah's Ark, though we love to tell a tale in a cute way for children that they love, because you know there's animals and there's a big boat and there's a family on the boat. It's like Swiss Family Robinson, you know, type of thing. But it's really a tragic love story. The flood was horrible. But what would be even more horrible would be if God ignored sin and allowed all hell to break loose on earth. God hates sin, and he judged the sin of the world. And then God also provided grace to those that received him. And they followed up on an ark. So here is the gospel. The Lord hates the sin that you and I and each person commits. And God hates sin in such a way that yes, judgment and wrath waits for the people that remain in sin. Because of God's perfect justice. But in his perfect love, in his perfect grace, he has made a way, though, for sin to be dealt with, but also for us to be saved. Jesus Christ. We can't change the fact that God will deal with all sin. He must deal with it. His righteousness, his holy, demands that he must deal with it. But he has given us his one and only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. So we are to be in Christ. In essence, in the ark. God calls us to trust him in faith. I read earlier this week that uh, we ask God to do great things in our lives. But then we think it is strange when God asks us to build an ark. And I believe that God calls us to live a life that points to him in sharing this good news, this grace, this salvation in Jesus Christ. Because we know that without Christ, the rest of the world is going to face a horrendous judgment for their sin, just as we see with Noah. So my question is, what is God calling you to do? What has God called you to do? It may be one thing, it may be another. But God has called all of us to the mission to proclaim the gospel. And my prayer is that God finds us faithfully obedient to what he calls us to do, just as he did Noah.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you that you are a holy and mighty God, righteous and perfect. God, we thank you that in the days of Noah, Lord, that you chose to show grace to him and his family, allowing the world to start again through him and those that would come after him. Thank you, Lord, also for, yes, your judgment, God, that you rightfully show on those that choose to sin, that chose to turn their backs from you. And, Lord, like then, we also face the same. You call us, Lord, to honor you with our lives, to receive the saving gospel of Jesus Christ, and to share that with the world. God, help us in this mission as I know you do. Prepare the hearts and the ears of those, Lord, that do not know you, that they would receive you. God, that they don't have to face your wrath, but God, that they would receive your grace and that wonderful gift of everlasting life. God, we thank you for your love and for your Son, and help us, Lord, to be faithful in the life that you have given us. Amen. God bless. And y'all have a good night.